Okay, yeah, so <clears throat> I'm, my name's Bruce. Uh, I teach the classics at Mount Holyoke College, but my real distinction for all of you here is I'm, I'm Brooke's dad, so praise the Lord. <laughs> so I uh, have the, it's wonderful to be with you and I have the privilege of talking to you this morning about um, a very important matter in the Bible. Um, this is revealed to us in the second chapter of Genesis. It's the matter of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. In the very beginning, there are two trees that are revealed to us uh, in that garden. <clears throat> and, um, you know, Genesis 2.9 says, and out of the ground, Jehovah God caused to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, as well uh, as the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, we, we know that Adam and Eve, right, were commanded not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, because the result of that is death. And of course, you know, Satan um, tempted them and they ate. Uh, both of them ate. This is not, uh, there's no sexual discrimination involved in this matter at all. Eve ate and then Adam ate, right? So we, as um, sons of Adam, as descendants of Adam, have been born, right, with this life that came from that tree. Now, the way to read the Bible is the Old Testament gives us the crucial understanding of who God is through principles, through God's history with his people in a kind of outward form. And the New Testament, right, gives us the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfilled the reality of everything that is there in the Old Testament. So in the matter of the two trees, right? One leading to life, the other leading to death. We, as sons of Adam and Eve, we ate of the tree of the knowledge and were brought into death. The Lord Jesus, as the unique, Son of God, the embodiment of God in a man, right? He had no portion with that tree. He was life, and he lived out the life of God to show us, right, in the human living, how the God-man, right, how God actually lives and is expressed. So the principle that we look at first is the problem that we all have. Especially this problem is with the Lord's people who love him and who desire to follow him. That is to say, um, we know, we know what is good and evil. We have a, um, a real instinct a, a, a basic nature to desire to do good and to avoid evil. And of course, as those who love God, 
we have an even sharper discrimination as to knowing what is good and evil because we read our Bibles and we know um, something about what God desires. And of course, Christians for many years have sat under, right, preaching, telling them how they can be a good Christian, how they can live a godly life. Um, so we know these things, but our problem is we can't do it, right? We can't do it. Why? Not for a lack of knowledge, but because we don't have a life capacity. We don't have the life of God. So even when we have some success in doing what we think is good, what we want to do, nevertheless, our inward experience, if we have the Lord's light, we will realize what was our motivation in doing that. Even if we're successful, right, the result is often pride because we did it. So whether we are successful in doing good or whether we fail and we sin, and we have the experience of both sides, good or evil, we are brought into death by what we do. And what do I mean by we are brought into death? That is to say, we have no sensation, we have no realization deep within, right, that God is with us, God is flowing in us, right? Um, we are separated from God. So this is the life of a sinner. Whether we do good, whether we do evil, the life of a sinner brings us into a life in which we are always criticizing and judging others and then failing to be what we know we should be, right? even though we criticize others for it. That's a terrible situation to be in. And that is our problem. That is the problem of every human being. Um, so, you know, we sang that song about uh, the Lord desiring his bride. And if we, if we understand the scriptures, we will realize from not only the book of Revelation, but from other portions of the New Testament, that the Lord's coming, his second coming, is to receive his bride. At his coming, there will be a wonderful wedding party that consists of, right, the Lord Jesus Christ come in glory with his people who are built up as his habitation and glorified as his bride. So that bride is simply the matured Christian people in oneness expressing Christ as he himself also lived the human life on earth. That is to say, the bride is the result of a people who have grown in life, who have grown in the life capacity to know the Lord to love the Lord, and to live out the Lord 
in oneness with him and in oneness with each other. It's a wonderful thing. But we look back over the last 2,000 years of church history, right? We do not see the bride produced. Certainly, there were many godly people. There were people who experienced the Lord. But because of the limitations of sin, the way sin works in humankind, there has always been ultimately the failure for the oneness of the body of Christ and the expression of the God-man living on the earth to develop to the point where the Lord would say, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I am coming back. So this is why we speak about this matter this morning, because we were born of God and as we were born of God, we were born into his family with his purpose, which is to have this bride, right? So that depends upon whether we will live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing the Bible, knowing what we should do and be, practicing religious practices in an outward way, but having no real knowledge and enjoyment of the Lord himself within us, which actually is enables us to live the Christian life. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, um, some of you will recognize these verses. The Lord says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, was it not in your name that we prophesied and in your name that we cast out demons? And in your name did many works of power. And then I will declare to them, the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So to do something in the Lord's name, right? Using his name to justify our preaching, our good works, our doing but yet not actually be one with the Lord, not actually know the Lord, leaves us separated from God in everything we have done, will not be uh, in any way producing the bride. And for 2,000 years, this has been the case, right? Um, many works, many prophesying, Many works of power, casting out demons, but yet no bride. So, you know, this morning, of course, we're not left with simply the fact that um, there is this failure, not only in our lives, but in human history. But we're left with, or I want to bring to you also, right? There's the other side. There's the tree of life. And the tree of life is, right, the principle. But in the New Testament, we don't see a creed or a theology. We see a person who embodied life. This is the person, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so a very familiar verse to all of you, John 3.16, right? Um, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that everyone who believes into him would not perish, but would have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So um, we need to return to the tree of life. First of all, if the Lord, by his mercy, would reveal to us and expose in us what is simply a living by religion, a living by the knowledge of good and evil, um, and on the other side, reveal who he is to us. He is the one who fulfilled everything that God required, all the requirements of God, all that God intended a human being to be, Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And within us as the seed of life, he is also the fulfillment. So we are in, dear young ones, I wish that I had had someone who could have helped me to understand this when I was a young Christian as a college student. I had no one who could help me really to know the way of life. But um, you have good shepherds among you. If your shepherds care for you, as I believe they do, right, they will care for this one thing, that you will be brought into the fellowship of life with the Lord Jesus and with one another. So we are just like the disciples, the Lord's apostles in the um, early days. The Lord's word is with us, his speaking. And as we come to know the Lord's presence in our living, we come to know him as a person by the index of his eyes. This is revealed in the Bible. I don't, I don't have time to go into it, but we have his speaking, we have his person. And this, and we are able through fellowship, through prayer, and by prayer, I don't mean, I'm not referring to some kind of religious form. By fellowship, I'm not referring to some kind of religious form. I'm simply referring to the way that God has created us. By our mouth and by our heart, we can take in this living Christ who's revealed in his word and who is made real to us by his spirit within us to nourish us and bring us into fellowship with him so that at the conclusion of our life, when we stand before the throne, the Lord will not say to us, I never knew you. And everything you did was a work of lawlessness. You just were pursuing your own goals, your own objectives. Many people have used Christ's name to create careers for themselves, to create celebrity status for themselves, to advance their own interests in many ways, right? But that's not being in your name, in being in the Lord's name. Being in the Lord's name means to be one with him. Let me just say, uh, to conclude here, two things very briefly, but crucial. One is, when John 3.16 says um, that he who believes into me, right? He's referring to the fact that our believing with our heart should 
and does bring us into oneness with the Lord. It's not believing in him as a mental doctrine. The Greek word is actually believe into him. Believing into him makes us one with him. And that only happens when his word becomes living to us in our heart. Then there is a genuine fellowship and oneness. Um, secondly, when it talks about being saved, right? He gave us his life so that he might save the world, right? That's in verse 17, so that the world might be saved through him. The, word, the Greek word save does not refer to, to being rescued. To be rescued is to be delivered out of your difficult situation, your trouble. You had a sad life. You had a sad situation. And now you write your circumstances are so much better. You're happy. That's not what saved means. The Greek word saved means to make whole, to make whole. That is to say, to be saved in the Lord's life is to have his life inwardly, subjectively become our life. His thoughts become more and more our thoughts. His feelings become our feelings. His choices, his will becomes our will. This is to be restored and made whole, right? So some of you may recall Psalm 23 says, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall not lack. It doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd to give us things we desire, things that we think we need. It just says, I shall not lack. It doesn't say, I shall not lack houses, good jobs, nice families, good grades, right? It says, I, I, my being shall not lack. If you read that psalm, the Lord, as the good shepherd, takes care of our being. This is to be saved in his life. And when you're saved in his life, you don't need to be delivered from the hard or bad situation. His life is able to pass through any situation, any difficult family, any difficult um, situation with your professors, with your roommates, with your eventually your spouses. His life is able, his life which, which went through death into resurrection is able to carry you through anything. So, then it goes on. What does the Lord do? He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He doesn't say, sheep, get up and go out there and do something. Preach the gospel, win souls, do great works, make a great career for yourself. No, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I need to be fed, right? I need, I need to be nourished by this tree of life. I need to be watered by it. He leads me by quiet waters of rest. The waters of rest satisfy me, right? Keep me at peace. Then it says, he restores my soul. My soul is wrong. My heart is wrong with God. That's why I don't experience him 
in my daily life because I'm living by the wrong tree, right? So we need, oops. We need the Lord's shepherding. Praise the Lord. I'll just stop there.